Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 62 of The Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. I'm Chris. And we are recording today from the Atwater Library in North Brantford, Connecticut. Yes. We've been here to work before in this. It's a lovely little room. They call it the seminar room. Just off the history room. Right. Nice to it's walk a, through. another sweet New England library. I have um, a guest visiting and sometimes sharing my little dorm room <laughs> along with a <laughs> podcast recording doesn't go hand in hand. So we thought we'd move it to the library today. So we wanted to remind everyone of our upcoming read-alongs. We have um, Trevor Noah's book, Born a Crime, that we're going to be reading first. It's his memoir and stories of growing up in South Africa. And that one, um, if you have questions or comments to us by November 8th, mm-hmm. I think Chris and I have both committed to listening to it on to audio. audio. Yeah, I looked at the library yesterday and I didn't see it available Okay. On- on a, like Audible, they mm-hmm. have it as the cassette, the DVD, the CDs. Yeah, my yeah. yeah. So anyway, but I'll probably maybe just get it from Audible directly. I guess that's what I did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I think it's I think it's like seven and a half hours or something, so it's a reasonable listen. Mm-hmm. And then Bianca Murray's "Hum If You Don't Know the Words" we'll be discussing that in December. So questions by December sixth, and drum roll. We have a copy, thanks to but, Put, Putnam, <laughs> Putnam Books. Um, we have a copy of Bianca's book. It's so a beautiful hardcover. It edition. is, yeah, yeah, very nice. Bright yellow and green. It has an owl and a pear. Toucan. Oh, toucan Look, on the maybe, cover. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so in order to no, that's a parrot. That's a parrot because a toucan has a much longer nose, I think, and I think the parrot has the shorter little hook nose. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Cool. But, yeah, I wonder she, if she talks about parrots. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, I haven't read it yet. So we have a copy available. So if you are a subscriber to our newsletter, you'll automatically be entered to win. And if you want to have a little extra boost in your subscriber, you can. I don't know what should we pick. Let's pick a social media platform, and then people could share a picture of them with their favorite book. To get a, a plus one, enter to win. Okay. How that about that? That sounds good. On Instagram? Yeah, or let's any do Instagram. social media. Let's do okay, Instagram. Instagram. All right. Well, is that heavy handed making people? No, just do it for fun. This is supposed to be fun. But I mean, like making people do it for one platform only. No, you can okay. do wherever you want. Okay, so yeah, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, wherever we are, you can be with Share. Your, yeah. We always actually. Giveaway or not, we always like to see what people are reading. Absolutely. As we've said, we have stretched our heads in multiple directions to try to see where, what people are reading when we're out in the real world. Yeah, so. definitely. So if you do that, if you do post a picture of yourself with your favorite book or your favorite current read, um, do hashtag us, you know, book cougars or tag us somehow. So we will definitely see it. Yes. Okay. That's exciting. And we'll pick by, let's see, next week is November oh already. Gosh, it's crazy, isn't it? So why don't we pick the winner by November? November 1st, right? Perfect. Today's the 20th. Oh, no, this episode. Oh, no, no. When is this yeah. episode going to post? Let's do it November 5th. Okay, November 5th. All right. So And we'll uh, get that out to you in the mail ASAP so you'll be able to read it along with us for December. Right. So we're giving people enough time to get over their Halloween sugar highs. <laughs> to remember to enter the giveaway. <laughs> nice. So what are you currently reading, Chris? I'm kind of like at the point where I'm starting some books. And one of them is Eat, Pray, Love <sighs> by Elizabeth Gilbert. So I I don't know if I started this in the past or if it was just a book I avoided because it was so popular or because I saw the movie and I thought the movie was awful. Mm-hmm. Not really sure. But I am starting to read that. And I downloaded a copy from the library. And it's the 10th anniversary edition. So the book came out in 2006. So wow. this 10th anniversary edition was 2016. Two years ago already. And it's interesting, too, because um, Gilbert writes a bit of an introduction to that 10th anniversary edition. Talking about the book and... Kind of like how much she forgot about it and then things she didn't include. Mm. Um, But just really looking back at who she was when she was writing it, and she was only in her 30s, but the thing that kept getting repeated is just like how old she felt. Old, old, old. And just kind of where she was in her life to feel that way. And then also 
the baggage of society mm. that, you know, if you're a woman and you're mid-30s, you should be having kids. And she didn't want kids. And so she tells this little story about what happened in Italy with a woman and this kid that was kind of a big turning point for her. And looking back, she's wondering, like, why didn't I put that in the book? But, mm. you know, since mm. that time, it's become a big indicator or a big turning point for her life that she looks at. So it's really good. And she talks, too, about how people made fun of the book, mm-hmm. how people mocked it, how people hated it and just spoofed it and things like that. But she said, you know, the point wasn't to tell people to do what I did. She said, if anything, ask what I asked the questions that she asked herself. Because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people went on these trying to follow her footsteps and doing the same thing. But so the questions real quick, she asks the biggest and the oldest questions for, you know, millennia is who am I? Who does my life belong to? What is my relationship to divinity? What have I come here to do? And do I have the right to change my own path? And with whom do I want to share that path, if anyone? And she goes on. Well, actually, yeah, there's a couple more questions, but I'll just leave it at that. So we'll see if I finish it or not. I loved the book, and I never understood the people who hated it. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt like it was jealousy and bitterness, you know, that she got paid to essentially answer those questions, mm-hmm. you know. But she was a gifted writer before mm-hmm. she set out on this journey, and I feel like what a lot of people objected to was the fact that her publisher, she got an advance. Yeah. She went to her publisher with this idea, mm-hmm. got an advance, and got to live off of that advance in order to have the experience. And I always felt like the people who I knew mm-hmm. who didn't like it were just kind of bitter about the, you know, yeah. like she got a paid vacation aspect of it. Yeah, and she talks about that. She talks about she was at the point in her life where she wanted to walk away from everything. Mm-hmm. And so it was a privilege mm-hmm. to be able to do that, to have that um, that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we all are responsible for our lives and we make our own decisions. Uh, but she talks about that, about mm-hmm. how she was in a very much a position of privilege at the time to be able to do that. And I think, you know... I read Big Magic, mm-hmm. and I look back at my Goodreads, and I had given it five stars. I actually listened to it as an audiobook, and I don't remember why I gave it five stars because I didn't write a review or anything on it. I didn't even write a sentence, but I do remember thinking she sounded really kind of pompous mm-hmm. and full of herself at times. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because looking at some of my friends' reviews on Goodreads of Big Magic and Eat, Pray, Love... Some people loved one and hated the other. Mm. But whether they loved it or hated it, a lot of people did say, you know, she sounds really full of herself at times. Hmm. So, hmm. Well, yeah. we'll see how you feel when you're done. It really, when I read Eat, Pray, Love, it really spoke to me. And I kind of credit her with um, a change in the world of memoir. Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge fan of reading memoir. Right. So I kind of appreciate that she did that yeah yeah we'll see I don't know you know I don't know how much it'll resonate with me now in my 50s when I feel like I've done a lot of my own spiritual work and a lot of my own um kind of radical path choosing you know what are you reading I'm reading Mr. Flood's Last Resort by Jess Kidd um in England it's called The Hoarder and oh, has a very different cover, just for any of you UK listeners out there. And uh, thank you to Atria Books, Atria, 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 Atria sure. Books for sending me a copy. This is a book club read for me. I'm in one book club and we meet quarterly. And yes, it's this Sunday. And yes, I am <laughs> trying to cram it down my eye holes. <laughs> it looks like you're more than halfway through. I am. I am. I just haven't been getting much time to read lately. But um, this, it's a story about a caretaker who is helping a gentleman who is a hoarder mm. living in a big house, and he's very elderly. And there's mystery around um, both his wife and his daughter's death. Interesting. And so this woman, Maud, who is his caretaker, is trying to solve these mysteries. But it's a very odd book. I mean, I'll have more to talk about when I finish it. But there's a little bit of magical realism, and there are times when I don't know if it's a real person she's talking to or a dream she's having or imagination. So I feel like after I talk to people about it, it'll become a little more clear to me. Okay. It's also a book that I started and then I took a break from, and some books for me, I really should have just gone back and restarted it because mm-hmm. I'm a little confused. Okay. But again, after I talk about it, hopefully I won't be. So Mr. Flood's Last Resort by Jess Kidd.
I'm also starting to read The Monk, hmm. that 18th century gothic novel, but I'm just, I just, I was going to read the introduction, and I kind of skimmed, I hate reading introductions to books um, by academics, yeah, because some of them give like spoilers left and right, and yeah. they're telling you how they interpret the book, but they present it as if that's the interpretation of the book. Right. So I kind of skimmed it and then decided just to head right to the, the first page, which is where I am right now. So. And who's it by? Oh, gosh. Lewis, I think the name is. Did I write the name down? Let's see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Monk. It's by Matthew Lewis. Okay. So we will see how that goes. I'm looking forward to having a little creepy gothic action in my life. Halloween time. I know. I'm listening to Kitchen Confidential by Anthony oh, Bourdain. You did it. Awesome. Yeah, I actually had gotten it and listened to about half of it on some trip I took, and then it got sucked off my phone machine because it was due back to the library. So I'm really looking forward to getting back into it. I was really surprised um, that a lot of his formative cooking years were on Cape Cod in Provincetown. Oh, interesting. I had no idea. So that's definitely, you know, an interesting place to yeah. live. And to, he did a lot of partying. He definitely had a very um, drug-addled time of his life. And I know that he was not doing that later in life. Mm-hmm. But um, So it, there's a lot of food, as you might imagine, and just a lot of restaurant, behind-the-scene restaurants and stuff, which I love. Yeah. So I think I'm about halfway. So I was so excited when it, I got it back. What did you just read? I just read a bunch of things. Right on. I did. Like, I had a busy two weeks of reading since we last talked. So I did read Death Comes for the Archbishop by Willa Cather for Book Group. And I did it kind of reading and audio, hmm. which was interesting. But that was fun. It was a good good reread. Yeah. Nice. Um, should I just list all of mine? Sure, go, go for it. Forth? Do you have a bunch there? I just have two. Okay. I did read Democracy in Chains, The Deep History of the Radical Rights Stealth plan for America and we you know I had a book group about that and it was a tough read it left me feeling really kind of hopeless and depressed Mm. about our current situation she looks at uh, this guy James Buchanan who was a economist Mm -hmm. an economics professor theorist um, and his his thoughts that really um, took off after Brown versus the Board of Education he wanted to stop the integration of schools he wanted to stop the forward movement of rights for African-Americans, for equality for African-Americans, looks at how his philosophy was taken over by billionaires like the Koch brothers and trying to turn that into reality. Mm. I mean, and they've loaded the courts with people who've been schooled in these theories They've been there already for 20, 30 years. They're still getting added to courts. I mean, the whole gist of it seems to be about transforming our democracy pretty much into an oligarchy, you know, mm. where it's not just the 1%, but it's maybe like the point one percent <laughs> who don't just kind of control things, but they, they actually serve their own needs mm. and everyone else can just kind of fend for themselves because the theory is... Well, if you're poor, it's your fault, mm. pretty much. You know? But it's also just about greed. Yeah, right? totally. I mean, the, yeah. The, about having your own, building your own golden castle. Yeah, and it's just, you know, in book, in book group, we talked a lot about that. It's just like, how much is too much money? Mm-hmm. And, and as one of the women said, she's like, it's not so much about that. It's that they're, they're kind of sociopaths. They want to have everything, and if anybody comes close to approaching what they have, they go into attack mode. Mm -hmm. For decades, they've been trying to erode citizens' trust in our democracy and in our political institutions. Now they're attacking the media, as we all can see. It was kind of shocking, too, to to see how vulnerable our democracy is, and that it's not as... It's a, it's a constitution that was written for, you know, white men with land. Mm-hmm. And it's still serving those people's mm-hmm. needs for the mm-hmm. most part. So anyway, Democracy in Chains, I thought it was really enlightening and it helped me make sense of what's going on. But it was depressing as fuck. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Well, I hope you... It was depressing it. as what? What can I say? <laughs> I don't know if I should say fuck because... No, I, that sums it up. Yeah. 
Okay. Did you read something happy when you finished? <sighs> well, I kind of did. I, I was looking around for something to, positive to read because I did need to read something. So I picked up um, Fledgling by Octavia Butler. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and I started that for, um, the, well, the next day I started it, it was Readathon Day. Yeah. And I really love the beginning of it. So it's uh, Octavia Butler's Fledgling is a vampire novel. I read her earlier book, Kindred, Kindred earlier this year and really enjoyed it. She's known for being a sci-fi writer. So she takes the vampire tradition and puts a kind of a more of a sci-fi spin on it. And I thought the beginning was like one of the most creative, inventive vampire stories I'd read. Like oh, I was fun. so into this. And I even said on Goodreads, like, wow, like this is quickly becoming like my favorite, one of my favorite vampire stories I don't want to say too much about it because the unfolding of it is so much fun, but it's definitely a novel that challenges racial assumptions and age assumptions, some gender for sure. But then about maybe the halfway point, it started getting bogged down a little bit, started slowing down, and then it actually got kind of boring in parts. Oh no. It got very predictable in parts, and I don't know if it's just... Maybe for a younger person, just picking it up, they would rip through the whole thing. Um, but as somebody who's read a lot of vampire novels, it, it just really got bogged down. Oh, no. So I kept reading because I did like the characters, mm-hmm. and I wanted to see what would happen. But but, yeah. but it's not your favorite vampire novel. No, it's not. <laughs> but I will always remember the opening scenes and, and kind of some of the changes she made to vampire lore and that it in itself if so if you're into vampire novels you'll definitely want to read this one but as i said in my review if like you want if you like to read like one vampire novel a year around halloween time i wouldn't go for this one okay because it's not the kind of book that's going to i don't think keep you turning the pages and staying up late at night you know shivering right. in your bed you know, so. <laughs> eating snickers bars <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um, did you read anything else? Yeah, I read a couple more things. I read uh, Courageous Women of the Vietnam War by Catherine Atwood. Medics, Journalists, Survivors, and More is the subtitle. And this is part of, uh, it is from Chicago Review Press, and they have a whole series of women of action books, as they're called, and these are young adult books, and this is nonfiction, I should make clear. And... I've read a couple other of Atwood's books, and I really enjoy them because I think there's not much out there about women in war at all, and especially for young adult readers. This was another one I enjoyed. I'm not as into... I don't know as much about the Vietnam War as other wars, so I lacked a lot of context to, Hmm. like, give this, you know, put this one... Maybe to give it more of an objective review. So... uh, I felt like I learned a lot reading it. She has it broken into five parts from the beginning, uh, 1945, uh, with Ho Chi Minh's revolution. And then she goes into the Civil War, our, our own President Johnson's involvement with the war, and then Nixon's, and then the end, up to the end, 1975. And there are, I think she covers like 12 women in this book. Some are Vietnamese, one is French, Australian, New Zealand, Americans. And that's what I like about her books, Atwood's books, is that she doesn't include the globalness of these wars. And, you know, you think of Vietnam as just this small country, but it was such an international war. Yeah. And it lasted for so long and just caused so much pain and destruction. But I did enjoy the book. I wanted to share one thing, like, so with each short biography, I should back up. So with each part, each woman has her own chapter. So it's a bit of a biography about that woman and her involvement with the war, some of her background, and then sometimes what happened to them after the war. And for example, this woman, um, Kay Wilhelmi Bauer is her name. She was in the Navy, she was a nurse, um, and served a lot of different places. Even before she was in Vietnam, she was in Guam and Japan. It was at the point where she was going to be getting out of the Navy when they approached her and said, hey, we're sending a surgical team to Vietnam, we'd really like you to be on it. So she, she went and she did that. After her service in Vietnam, she was a recruiter 
in Minnesota where her office was bombed mm. and then for the anti-war protesters. And then later, she was at home one night hanging out with a friend. Her husband had already gone to sleep when the house next door exploded. Oh, and the explosion was so big, it like blew a door off her house and almost hit her husband. And it turns out, you know, a lot of people in the neighborhood were saying it was just a faulty gas line or something. But naval investigate or naval intelligence actually told Kay that there was an explosive device found behind the refrigerator in that house, and it was probably meant for her. Wow. Yeah. So. Um, Did it kill her neighbor? Yes. That's everyone in that horrible. house died. Wow. And they think it was just they they got the wrong house, yeah. you know. But this is people targeting individual service members but she was instrumental in um ptsd and you know research with that and its effects on women in particular uh so that's just one woman out of this this whole group and i I just thought her story was really interesting for what happened to her afterwards with that because that's you hear about war protesters but i think most of us have it in our mind we think of the hippies with putting little daisies in the muzzles of soldiers. You know, we don't really think about the violence that actually happened to certain groups. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, Courageous Women of the Vietnam War by Catherine Atwood. It's young adult nonfiction. I think it would make a good present for the holidays if you Mm -hmm. have a young person in your midst who's really into history and or the military. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. And then the other thing I read was um, Anne Pachette's Pasha? Pacha. Pacha, that's right. <laughs> Pache. 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 And Uh That small pamphlet that she wrote for Independent Bookstore Day a couple years ago. Do you remember that? I don't remember, but the I saw that you read it. The care and feeding of an independent bookstore. Mm-hmm. Just a small little pamphlet. It was a special $6 thing that they put out two years ago for Independent Bookstore Day. And I picked up a copy at Northshire Bookstore during Booktopia. They had some. And... I, it was stuck in my desk. I have one of those old slant desks with all the cubbies and everything. Yeah. And I put it in there. So I was cleaning out my desk a little bit, and I found it. And I sat there, and I read it right away. It's, I think, like, maybe 38 pages. It's not very long. But it put me in such a good mood. It was a good thing to read yeah. <laughs> at this time. Oh, so um, it's the, the, there's three small sections, and the first one is... That essay that she wrote about opening the independent bookstore that was on the internet and every book nerd that I know shared it, how she got involved in this right. whole project. And then the second... She has a bookstore, independent bookstore down in Nashville. Yeah, Parnassus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they have that bookstore. And then they also have a mobile bookstore called Parnassus on Wheels. Oh, I didn't know great. that. Yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah, that's also the name of a mystery book. From, gosh, the 20s, maybe? Oh, okay. Maybe even earlier than that that I had read that was really an interesting little mystery. And the second chapter or section is about her experience in the bookstore and all the amazing people she's met and all the different books she's read, you know. Mm. I think it's called something like What They Don't Tell You About Owning a Bookstore is how radically your reading changes. Yes. You're definitely exposed to so many different things, and you have co-workers and and customers coming in and putting different books in your hands yeah and then she talks to you about all the different writers she's met and had been now putting them up in her home when they come on tour quite often and then this the last bit is 52 books that she recommends in her 52nd year oh which is kind of fun i'm 52 and i've been coming across so many things about 52 which is funny so that was cool yeah fun little booklet to read and what's fun is there's been a real resurgence in independent bookstores lately and more are opening up. Yeah. So. Yeah, and she had Yay. no idea that she would become... She's kind of like a spokesperson Yeah. in, in a lot of ways yeah. for the independent bookstore movement because she started it because the, their local borders went out of business mm-hmm. and a couple of the other independents went out of business and there she's like in Nashville, which is a major city, right. without... An independent bookstore, right? Or any new bookstore. There's some good used bookstores in town, so yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, so that was my reading. I you think had I covered everything. A lot of reading. Yeah, it was a it was a good uh, good time to read. Well, I finished The Best of Us by Joyce Maynard, which was an audiobook that I was listening to, and I had a long drive, so I got to finally finish it. 
you know, the book starts off really strong. It's about her meeting and falling in love with a man named Jim in her 58th year. Mm. And she had been single for 20 years and didn't expect to find love again and particularly didn't expect to fall head over heels in love with a man that really isn't, you know, I think a lot of us have had this experience. Like, this isn't the person that I would have put pen to paper and designed for myself, yeah. but here I am, madly yeah. <laughs> in love with this man, you know? I mean, she talks about stupid things, like, you know, he's short, and she never thought she'd date a short man, you know? And mm-hmm. just things like that. But they have this wild love affair. They um, come, they're both living in California, but they spend a wonderful summer on the East Coast driving around in a convertible and on a motorcycle and just having a grand time and they're about they end up getting married which she also didn't think she would see happen again yeah um again madly in love and then in their i think second year of marriage she's diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and not the good kind not that there's good pancreatic cancers but there are some that you you know you know you have a longer life span and he did not and so the second half of of the memoir really is very much a tale of cancer and I have a dear friend that passed away not too long ago from that so I felt like it was good that I had some distance from that it definitely if you have any triggers around that this would be a tough book because it is lots of emergency room visits lots of operations and medications and things like that but it was interesting to hear about it from the caretaker's perspective Mm -hmm. and her role as someone who also is a writer and became a real bulldog for him and helping him care for for himself as well and the thing that was really touching about him is that he still maintained his zest for life all the way till that very end and it was interesting and kind of hopeful, even though you were reading about someone that you knew. I mean, I knew that he died, right? Even yeah. I was listening to it. But I really enjoyed it. I really did. And I, I attribute a lot of that to her writing. And she narrated it, which mm-hmm. was great as well. Yeah. Um, so if you're interested in kind of hearing about love and an amazing relationship and then you know witnessing its demise, really, it is an interesting memoir in that way. But I needed something very mindless when I finished that one. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so what did you go for? <laughs> I went to a book because I was also away and I just didn't have a lot of time to read that. That was actually sent to me by Harper and it's called Not Our Kind by Kitty Zeldis. Hmm. And what the title refers to is um, anti-Semitism and someone being, you know, Jewish. So she's not our kind. Okay, that doesn't sound like a light read, Emily. Well, it was, because <laughs> what it was about was, um, this. it takes place after World War II, and you start out with a young woman who's Eleanor Moskowitz, who's trying to get to a job interview, and she's in New York City, sitting in a cab in traffic. And my first thought when I'm reading like the first two paragraphs of the book was, there was traffic even back then? <laughs> like, I can't believe the city was crowded then. So it's kind of funny. And then her cab gets in a little fender bender with another car. And in that car is a woman named Patricia. And she is not Jewish. And her daughter, Margot, has just recovered from polio and has a bum leg. And um, she and Eleanor befriend each other. And eventually Eleanor becomes the tutor for daughter Margot oh. because Margot's I think she's missed school because of having polio but she's also embarrassed to go back to school because she's got this bum leg and a cane and she's a teenager and yeah. you know the whole thing so um, the first scene where she goes to what happens is Eleanor feels very shaken up after the car accident so Patricia invites her up to her house and right away it's kind of like oh <gasps> Because there's a Jewish woman in the house, you know, and the daughter, as young kids do, which is so lovely about kids, starts asking her all these questions, you know, like, because she's heard what Jewish people are like and Mm -hmm. things like that. So they end up having the daughter and Eleanor have a lovely relationship and she's a great teacher and all this kind of stuff. And it has a little bit of a Me Too moment in the book which starts to make me think like are there any women who aren't at some point accosted by men you know very rarely i'm laughing i don't mean that's funny so when you say relationship like do you mean friendship oh friendship yeah yeah no no no. i mean that eleanor is much older than the daughter she's a young adult and she lives with her mother and is date in out in the dating world and stuff no i didn't mean to mean that there was a relationship in that way i just mean that 
you know, it's like they ask them. Not our kind. Yeah. They go a lot of different directions. <laughs> different, so. No, no. <laughs> okay. But they, I mean, it's just the, and the anti-Semitism is not blatant. It's more just like, um, well, maybe that's not the right term, but it's like, you know, she's going to start coming to this apartment where Patricia lives. So she asks her, instead of announcing yourself as Eleanor Moskowitz, would you call yourself Eleanor Moss? Oh, so that's yeah. anti-Semitism, right? But sure. it's not like... Yeah you know, war anti-Semitism. It's a different version. Yeah, you know? not actively violent, right. hurting people. No, yeah. no. Um, but it just gives you, and it, you know, they also talk about the different parts of the city and how Patricia's never been to the part of the city where Eleanor lives, mm-hmm. where the Jewish people live and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. So it was an incredibly light read. It's blurbed by Melanie Benjamin. So if you enjoy Melanie Benjamin's writing, I think you would like this book. I mean, there's definitely paragraphs where she's talking about someone's dress and her mother's a hat maker. So there's a little bit of hat talk and stuff. So it was super, super light yeah. and kind of the perfect follow-up from The Best of Us, which was not light at <laughs> <Yeah>. all. <laughs> so again, it's Not Our Kind by Kitty Zeldis. Cool. You know, I should also say, I saw two movies, and I saw that, I forgot to mention them last time, but I did go and see Crazy Rich Asians, and I enjoyed the movie. It was nice to see some of the the scenery Mm -hmm. of Singapore. And then I watched the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society, Potato Pie Society, and I think I DNF'd the book at the time, but I enjoyed the the, oh, okay. The film, the adaptation was... was it's not a series, right? It's just a movie? It's just a movie. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm not sure how long it was. It didn't seem very long, so mm-hmm. I think it was just a regular okay. movie length kind of thing. But yeah, you can stream that. I, I don't know if it's on Netflix or Amazon or something like that. So, yeah. That's a good segue into Biblio Adventures, because that's really what those were, right? Yeah, they kind of were <laughs> Biblio Adventures. <laughs> that's right? what I always think of movies. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not being lazy sitting on my ass. I'm just having a Biblio adventure. (laughs) Very good. Yeah. Yeah. So Biblio adventures. Tell me. I went to Ohio for a very fast and furious visit with some family and friends. And my sister lives in Bexley, which is near, it's like a suburb of Columbus. And she has a new independent bookstore that I want to say opened a year or two ago called Gramercy Books. And it's a lovely little bookstore, and it has a great um, coffee shop attached to it called Kitties, Mm -hmm. which is kind of funny. But they had, one of my favorite things they had was an end cap that had movie books to film adaptation, which has always been one of my little sweet spots, and I've always dreamed of having a book club where we look ahead and see what movies are coming out that are, you know, book adaptations and reading and going to movies. But yeah, then I've always felt like, oh, I'm not that organized to figure that one out. But if anyone wants to start one, I would love to join it. (laughs) (laughs) So I went with my sister. It was really fun. Um, They had a local section, local author section, which I always enjoy too. So Mm -hmm. they had stuff with a lot of cool history of Columbus. The other thing about that film, I should say the books to film end cap is there's a really cool um, art house theater two doors down. So they do a really nice thing with kind of like here, what they do with RJ's and the Madison theater. They'll bring in, you know, the books and things like that. So that was really cool. That's cool. And you got to take pictures inside this. Yes. This bookstore did not, you know, (laughs) grab my phone out of my hand when I tried to take pictures of things. Um, and they had really nice sidelines. It was a beautifully arranged bookstore, very warm and cozy, not huge, but a really nice selection. And then right across the street was the Bexley Public Library. So my sister was so excited to be taking me on a jaunt. And um, the library, too, has a nice auditorium that the bookstore will use for some of their larger author events. That's so perfect. it was just a really nice feeling of a, just a really book-loving section of town. Mm-hmm. And the library had a really cool folk art display going on that I really enjoyed as well. And then the other thing they did that was really fun, when my sister went to check out a book she had on hold... They had these really cool bookmarks with like children's art on them. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at them and the woman said, oh yeah, we do a a competition every year for kids to submit art they think would make a good bookmark. Oh, cool. And she said only a handful of them actually get made into bookmarks, but they do have an online place where they post all of the submissions. So every kid gets to feel like they were a participant and that sort of thing. That's fun. I forgot to bring them with me today. I'll take a picture and put them up on some of our social media because they were really cool and cute. Yeah. 
And I wonder if, like, the library has seen an uptick because of the bookstore. Oh, I, that's a good question. I yeah. didn't think to ask that question. I yeah. That. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great combination mm-hmm. to have a bookstore and a library yeah. close together. It was, and, again, to share the space. Which I've never been to. Well, no, I guess I've been to a couple events here, library events where some of the local bookstores were selling books. Yeah. So there are combination yeah. efforts around here. There are, yeah. Them. I know at um, our Guilford Library, the Breakwater Books yeah. sells books there. Yeah. So that was really fun. It was nice to go on an adventure with my sister. And mm-hmm. It's always fun to see another bookstore. <laughs> yeah. So, and library. <laughs> you two are so cute <laughs> together, too. <laughs> Emily posted some photos of yeah. uh, their. Book adventures. Yes, they had a good adventures. Time. Yeah, yeah. Cool. What about you? Well, I, you know, I had the book clubs and the readathon, but really, the big biblio adventure was going to New York City with you just and two days ago. We had so much fun. Yes, and I feel like I'm still kind of recovering. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get home until very late. Yeah, we got home at like midnight, I think, and then I don't think I got to bed until almost two because yeah. I was so wired. I, me too. Yeah, me too. So, yeah. It was great. We. Took the train in. First stop was having lunch with Aunt Ellen and her mm-hmm. friend. Linda. Linda. And your friend, Diana. Diana. I have a friend that this. drove back f- with me from Ohio. So Diana got to go and get the full book cougar experience <laughs> yes. for the day. <laughs> so that was fun. So we had lunch. And then um, the three of us, Emily, Diana, and I walked to the Morgan Library and Museum to check out the Frankenstein exhibit called It's Alive. Frankenstein at 200. It was really cool. It was a great exhibit. I enjoyed it very yeah. much. They they talked about the book and Mary Shelley's life, but then also the movie adaptations and and how movie adaptations really are what most people think of when they think of right. Frankenstein. Yeah. Because the book is more philosophical. So that yeah. was, it was great to see like first editions of Frankenstein and yeah. some of the artwork that inspired Shelley and even her mom, Mary Wollstonecraft. Right. They had um, the wig that was worn by the woman in um, Bride of Frankenstein, which was really bright red and cool. That was cool, and that was based on Nefertiti, which I had no idea about that. So that's that's the big wig that goes up and... It's, it looked, well, it's black and white film, so it looked black with this, like, white lightning bolt right through it type. But thing. in truth, the actress had bright red hair, yeah. which you wouldn't have known watching the yeah. movie. But, yeah, it was a really cool exhibit. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I did, too. And we also went, you know, Diana had never been, so we also went through the original Morgan <laughs> Library, which was yes. really fun. And the first room we went into had a woman who... The guard there took her job very seriously. Yes. I got yelled at. We thought the cougars then were going to get the got boot. yelled at <laughs> for something else. And we were just like, wow, okay. Like, <laughs> We thought we weren't going to make it to the Frankenstein exhibit. Like, the cougars get kicked out of the Morgan no, Library. Yeah, but she was really on it. And then at one point, another guard came in. And I was like, Emily, she called for backup because of us. <laughs> And we should preface this by saying we were not misbehaving. It no. wasn't like we were stroking all the art or anything. No, we weren't touching anything. Like, there was this... Well, we, we took a picture of it. It was a panther, this right. cat. But we are like, oh, look, a cougar. And I just, like, pointed at it. And she's like, step away. Yeah, You yeah. need to be a foot away from everything. And I'm just like... I feel like, oh, my God, I've been here, like, so many times. And no one has ever... Right. I've gotten much closer to things without getting yelled at. But maybe we were too enthusiastic. Yeah, maybe we just look scary. That's true. <laughs> maybe, you know? Maybe we look like we were trying to create a diversion and steal something. I don't know. you got to watch out for those five-foot middle-aged women. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And then we went over to the where the library is, the, the you know, the main library portion of it, and that guard was super friendly. Yeah, totally. And um, there are hidden staircases there, which is how you access the second and third level of the books. Yeah, the balcony. Like, you, yeah. It's a huge open room with balconies on the side. For those of you who haven't seen it, Google Morgan Library, and you will drool. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. But so we all sat there, and Diana, my friend Diana is a engineer so I was like okay let's see if we can figure out by looking at the bookcases you know where the hidden stairs are and we thought we had figured it out yeah but I think I figured you did. one of them you out figured that's that right out. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then and then the other one is the one that the guard pointed out right. and then told us to peek through the crack and you can see the staircase behind it it's like white marble yeah staircase and she told us a funny story that Morgan 
had a tunnel from his house to the library. So he would be hiding out in one of those secret panels. And when his guests would arrive or his meeting, his business, uh, potential business partners would arrive, he'd have them meet in the library. So he would listen to their pre-meeting conversations about what they're going to pitch and all this kind of stuff. And then once he heard enough, he would go back around and come through the front door and pretend like he just arrived and had no clue. Right, but um, had an upper hand on the negotiation yeah. because of eavesdropping. Yeah. So that was kind of some cool insider yeah, information. Yeah. So we went from one guard who was uh, slapping our hand to another who was uber-friendly, yeah. so that was fun. <laughs> and then we went over to the New York Public Library. Yes. Where we got to go down into the inner sanctum, literally. It was the main branch of the library, the classic one with the lions in the front. And we went down three flights of stairs to a really cool auditorium. I think it was called the Celeste, Celeste auditorium, auditorium or something. Yeah. To see Susan Orlean discuss her book, The Library Book. Yeah. In um, the, the person speaking with her was Paul Holdengraber. And any of you who listen to the New York Public Library live streaming podcast, which I've been a fan of for years, it was like I felt like I was in a room <laughs> with a royalty because yeah. he has a very distinct voice. He was raised in Belgium and he's an amazing interviewer, I think. But I said, I turned to Chris and said, we're going to march right down to the front row because there were two completely yeah. empty yeah. rows so, in the front. Right. So we got there like 20 minutes early probably, mm-hmm. and there were people filling in, streaming in. And, and yeah, so we went up to the front, and there were two rows with reserve signs on them, and some people's names were on others. But in the second row, like right in the middle, there were two seats with no names on them. Little pieces of tape. But no, but no, no paper names were there, so we, <laughs> we beelined. Yeah, we took. We decided to, to take a chance and get maybe kicked out of the New York yeah. Public Library. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, and sat down, and then we're just we're sitting there chatting talking. away. And then up comes this woman who sits in front of us. Right. And Emily's like, "That's Elizabeth Gilbert." I'm like, "Huh? What?" You know? <laughs> I freaked out, and then she turns and just like. Out of my mouth erupts. Yeah. I'm a big fan. It was awesome. You sounded, you didn't sound crazy or anything. You sounded just very genuine. Genuine. It's true. I love her writing and her different things she's written, including her novel, The Signature of All Things, which Mm -hmm. I think is fantastic have really spoken to me over the years. And she was very generous oh, and just totally. reached she out. Her hand, and, shook hands with both of us yeah. and just started chatting a little bit and was super friendly and really just genuine. And no, I will never wash that hand again. <laughs> <laughs> and she was, and she had read Susan Orlean's book and she blurbed it. She blurbed it, right. So yeah. um, she was waxing poetic about Susan Orlean also. Yeah. And, and the event was fantastic. It was great. And one thing I said, like, so, you know, talking about depressing books, Susan Orlean's book made me feel very positive and hopeful, which, as I said to Elizabeth Gilbert, like, you know, you would think a book about a million books being damaged or destroyed would be depressing, but I was so filled with hope. And she said, well, that's Susan Orlean for you. Like, she's brilliant. Yeah. In yeah. that way. So, yeah. So talk about her brilliance. <laughs> Well, so, I mean, first of all, she comes walking out on the stage, and she is dressed so cool, if I could just say. She has this tight black sweater on and then this skirt that was like... Oh, it had to be totally couture. Yeah. You know, like this awesome print on it. It was white with bold colors on it. It had, like, green on it, but it was asparagus and a whip. It was, like, food, which I thought was really funny because, you know, her book's about libraries. I didn't even notice it was food. Okay, (laughs) If there's food on something, Chris, I will always notice. But it was like half short and half long. And yeah. then she had bright red hair with a little wisp of green in it that matched the green of her yeah. skirt. I mean, she was cool. beautiful. And Paul Holdengraber is kind of known for asking questions that really make the guest think outside the box of yeah, what they... Yeah, he annoyed me a little bit yeah. at times, you know, but because he, he, he interrupted her a lot. Mm-hmm. But the interruptions did lead to good conversation. But at the same time, like, well, she was saying something. But he is a very experienced interviewer and successful at it for a reason. Because he gets different things out, maybe that other interviewers wouldn't. Well, I think also he's very prepared. So he has things he wants to cover. I mean, he even has slides that he puts up and shows and talks to her about. 
And, um, you know, he had slides of the library itself and the, you know, burned books and things like that. Yeah. And the yeah. firefighters in the library. Yeah, and those, those photos were from the book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Did you say that already? No. Oh, okay. no. I mean, okay. I had figured that. I didn't okay. read the book yet, but I figured that out. But it just helps to carry the conversation along, oh, yeah. you know, Absolutely. which I really appreciated. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was great. And she, Susan Arlene, is doing most of her tour at bookstores at libraries at libraries i'm so sorry yes at libraries to support libraries so if she's coming to your town go see her she does a great talk and she's so friendly Mm -hmm. like because i did meet her at book expo Mm -hmm. and she was just so friendly and delightful then and the announcement was made that night that the new it it has become a new york times an instant instant bestseller right yeah. Which Paul Holden Graber was kind of joking about, like, whatever that means. It sounds wonderful, but, yes. you know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's great, too. It's a really good book. And it yeah. touches so many different aspects. It's, you know, libraries, librarians, book lovers. The connection you can have maybe with your mom or your dad as a kid with mm-hmm. books. The crime element with the arson. Right. Um, L.A. history, L.A. library history. There's just so much in that book. It's a delight to read. And... Listening to Paul read bits of it made me want to read the book again. Made me want to read it, which yeah. it wasn't really. I mean, I was kind of thinking I would just live vicariously through you on this one, but yeah. I think I'm going to have to pick it up. It's a good read, and I I'm going to get the finished copy. I was at uh, I was up near Hartford the other day, and I stopped at a Barnes and Noble, and I was looking at the finished copy of the book, which is really cool. It's it's hardcover, and it has no dust jacket. Which, you know, libraries traditionally don't keep dust jackets. Mm -hmm. So that was a nice, you know, nod to library history. But then on the inside back cover, there's a really cool image of a book slip in that little pocket. And it's so well done, it looks real. Yeah. You almost want to reach out and touch it. Yeah. So I thought that was a nice design detail. Yeah. Very yeah, it's so. really cool. And she, it ha- they had a great turnout. The it was the event was sold out. I think. I mean, the place looked packed. Yeah. And um, it was a great evening. And the piece de resistance for us <laughs> is that standing outside of you know the entrance to the auditorium, there was a librarian there signing people up for library oh. cards. And she's like, "Would you like to get a library card? Do you have a library card?" And we're like, oh, you know, we're from out of state. We're in Connecticut. She's like, "Oh, you can get a library card." We're like. What? I mean, like, we <laughs> practically jumped on her. So <laughs> Give me that pen. <laughs> so we both exciting. have our library cards, and I already downloaded books. I have not. I just had to work, and yeah. I knew if I got on that website, it would be over. I would. Well, uh, I, I ended up, I did take some time. I was kind of, like, cruising some of the old historic periodicals, because you get access to d- databases and stuff, too. And that's where I downloaded Eat, Pray, Love, okay. and The Monk. And right. then one of my upcoming reads. Right on. Yeah, I was just like, this busy. is so much fun. I yeah. haven't even logged in yet. I know what I'm doing this weekend. Well, and it's a temporary card, we right. should say. So every three months, we have to go in and, and renew it. And I'm sure we can handle that. Yes, Chris and I have already put that on our calendar. Yeah. You can be sure. <laughs> that was great. So um, sitting next to us at that event were two people. We Somebody introduced Elizabeth Gilbert to them. They're librarians who are um, in charge of book acquisition. And it was a man and a woman, and the guy was... He was reading a bit from the book to the other woman. Okay. So, I, and it was a bit that I pulled out on my review that I wrote on my blog about it. It's two paragraphs, and I would just love to read it, if you don't mind. It is about um, Althea Warren, who was one of the librarians at the L.A. Public Library mm. back in the 40s. And I just love it. So um, I'll just read this. Warren was probably the most avid reader who ever ran the library. She believed librarians' single greatest responsibility was to read voraciously. Perhaps she advocated this role in order to be sure librarians knew their books. But for Warren, this directive was based in emotion and philosophy. She wanted librarians to simply adore the act of reading for its own sake. And perhaps as a collateral benefit they could inspire their patrons to read with a similar insatiable appetite. As she said in a speech to a library association in 1935, librarians should, quote, read as a drunkard drinks, or as a bird sings, or as a cat sleeps, or as a dog responds to an invitation to go walking, not from conscience or training, but because they'd rather do it than anything else in the world. 
Throughout her life, Warren published little tip sheets, Althea's Ways to Achieve Reading, to encourage people to find time for books. She approved of fibbing if it gave you an additional opportunity to read. The night you promised to go to dinner with the best friend of your foster aunt, just just telephone that you have such a bad cold you're afraid she'll catch it, she wrote in one of her tip sheets. Stay at home instead and gobble Lucy Gayhart in one gulp like a boa constrictor. <laughs> <laughs> and Lucy Gayhart is, of course, a novel by Willa Cather. That's so. awesome. Yeah. So. I love it. Very cool. It's just such a fun book. It has so many tidbits like that and then just full of good things. Yeah. 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 If you get a chance to see her, we highly recommend yeah. it. Do. Susan Orlean, The Library Book. Have you got any upcoming adventures? Well, you know what? We're Laura and I are taking off on a little vacation out to LA. Oh, so you'll have I to find be, some bookish fun there. I will be having some biblio adventures there yeah, for sure. Nice. Yeah. How about you? I don't. The only thing I really want to put on my radar the next couple of weeks is to get to that bookstore in Weathersfield because mm-hmm. I still haven't got to it. It's the new independent bookstore that opened not too far from us that Chris went to I think on independent uh, yes. bookstore day yeah. and I still and it's on the way to my gentleman mm-hmm. caller so there's no excuse for and me not having gotten that bookstore right it's yeah. called that bookstore <laughs> so I will try to get there in the next two weeks and hopefully you'll hear about it on the next All episode right. awesome upcoming reads yeah I have a couple how about you I do. I just wanted to remind everybody, first of all, and I'm, I've been paging through it. It's not one of those books you're going to read cover to cover in one sitting. But we talked about this when we got back from Book Expo, the book A Thousand Books to Read, A Life-Changing List. I'm sorry, I didn't read that correctly. A Thousand Books to Read Before You Die, A Life-Changing List. And it's by James Mustich, I think is his name. And it's a really amazing compendium of books and authors and You know, it'd be a great thing to have, especially if you have a book club. Mm -hmm. I used to have a book similar to this on my shelf that my book club, when we were stuck, we would pull it out and it would kind of give us ideas. And he's got it kind of alphabetized from A to Z and the authors, you know, whose last names fall within that. And it's now, I mean, we got, we have an advanced reader's copy, but it came out October 2nd in hardback. Mm -hmm. So it could be a really nice gift. Mm -hmm. to give people and also just a nice reference to have um, on your shelf absolutely that's a great kind of gift too to give to somebody who you don't really know that well yeah yeah but you know as a reader yeah Yeah, for sure yeah right yeah Yeah. so again that's not one I I plan to page turn uh, you know and just sit down and go from cover to cover but I think I'm going to just keep it around as a nice reference nice and you saw him right I did not no I didn't see him but a friend of mine went to see him and she said it was really funny because um, a woman in the audience raised her hand and he called on her and she was really quite concerned that Danielle Steele wasn't in the book. <laughs> and it was just interesting because I felt like, you know, she really was upset about it. And if you think about, you know, someone who's a Danielle Steele fan, she has a lot of books. So I could right. see where you'd be, you know, almost offended. That, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, and he, you know, had a good response and basically said, you know, you can't, I can't have everybody in here, right. you know. So yeah. um, it was a sweet story, I thought. Yeah. I can relate because, you know, you know, I'm like that with Willa Gathers. So yeah. You know, that's the first thing I did with that book. Right. Was to turn and see <laughs> A, if she was in there, and then B, what book. Yeah. Yeah. So. And were you, did you give it a passing grade? I kind of. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I did. Yeah. Chris has her own issue. <laughs> I looked for Willa Cather and then also Pat Conroy. Oh, yeah. If he's included. Yeah. You know, he's good. been, yeah. uh, certainly he was a life changing writer for me. Yeah. 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 So, other um, upcoming reads for you? I also was given by a friend um, a copy of Kent Harreff's book, Benediction, which reminded me of his trilogy because I loved Plain Song. Mm -hmm. And this is the third in the series. The second one is Eventide, I guess is what you call it, Eventide, and then Benediction. So that just put that trilogy back on my radar. So I downloaded a copy of Eventide, so that'll be my next read, and then I have Benediction. I don't know if I'll just tear through them or not I do love his writing so I have a feeling I might okay, cool. let it sit a little bit yeah. um, and then the other one on my list is Gone So Long 
by Andre de Boost the Third, which I've had as an arc for months and haven't gotten to. But you're the one that pointed out he's coming to the Guilford Library at the end of November. Yeah. So I kept thinking, oh, I have all this time to get to it, but next week is November. I know, so crazy. I added yeah. it to my upcoming reads, so I will remember to get to it. Nice, cool. Well, I'll be reading Five Days at Memorial, uh, the nonfiction. It's for the nonfiction book club that I'm in. And who's that? Uh, Sherry Fink oh, right. is the author. And that is about the hospital in New Orleans during the hurricane that got flooded and the controversial steps or actions taken or and or not taken by staff to take care of patients. So yeah. I'm looking forward to it. We were kind of joking that maybe um, in January we need to pick a happy book. Yeah, I would because say. Because we just read Democracy in Chains, now Five Days at Memorial, our December book is one about African-American families and uh, slavery. I'm not, I don't remember the title of that book. So anyway, um, that is a book I downloaded from the New York Public Library. Nice. Um, and I am a friend of the New York Public Library, so I kind of feel like I'm contributing. I'm not just... You'd think if you were a friend of the library, they'd offer you a library card. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they think most people who would become a friend are, you know, already members. I'm not sure. But I'm on their mailing list. Earlier this year, they did a pitch for sponsoring certain categories of books that they, you know, are trying to beef up their collection and make sure it stays vibrant. And I donated for the LGBT category because I think I want to make sure those books are getting out there to people and they're there for people who are looking for them. Yeah. The other book I'll be reading is a reread. Mm. I read this book when it first came out back in like 1988, I believe it was. It's Starting from Scratch, A Different Kind of Writer's Manual by Rita Mae Brown. Mm. Wow. Yeah, and Rita Mae Brown, um, she at the time when I read this was most famous for Ruby Fruit Jungle, mm-hmm. which is a young, um, it's not young adults by any means, but it's a coming of age novel. Uh, Ruby Fruit Jungle about a young lesbian and it really resonated with me as a as a younger person but the first lesbian novel I ever read was one by her and it was called Sudden Death hmm. and it was based on her relationship with Martina Navratilova oh. you know fictionalized yeah. um, but that was a book that I read when I was in the Marines way back before Don't Ask Don't Tell so I had to hide the book while I was mm. reading it. Like a friend loaned it to me, and I was like, oh, my God. Because, you know, they had surprise inspections and everything. So anyway, I enjoyed that book, Sun Death. I enjoyed starting from scratch. I remember being so excited to get home with it. And I was living with my parents at the time, and they had gone out, and I just remember sinking into a chair and enjoying it very much. So are you rereading it because you feel like you want another shot in the arm of, a, you know, writing handbook? No, you know what? I'm reading it as a buddy read mm. with a YouTuber. His channel is um, Sean the Book Maniac. Uh, so Sean, I don't remember... I think he mentioned it. I don't really even remember how it came up, but I was just like, oh, I read that one. I yeah. And I'd actually been thinking about it and mm. thinking about maybe rereading it. And He'd read it too, so he's. We're both going to do a buddy read of it in November. Nice. I'm not sure what that looks like on YouTube. I have to figure that out because I've been, <laughs> I've done some stuff on on YouTube, some book videos, and I've been thinking about starting a more consistent channel, as they call it. So this is going to be my motivation to get maybe a little bit more consistent with that. Nice. And Great. I I found out about Sean through Jenny from Reading Envy. Because oh, he's been a guest on there oh, before. Okay. So he's a Canadian guy who lives in Japan. Okay. And so it's kind of fun that, you know, a blogger finds out about a booktuber through a podcast. Right. You know, like it's just kind of fun. I love all the, the book uh, connections that are out there in the world these days. So we'll put a link to his YouTube channel in the show notes so you can find him yeah. as well. Cool. Excellent. So reminder that we have this giveaway for Bianca Moray's book, Come If You Don't Know the Words. Join our newsletter by November 5th. And if you want an extra bonus option, you can put a picture of yourself, a selfie with your favorite book and on if one you, of our social if media. If you hate things. selfies, just have your hand in the picture. <laughs> Some people really object to that. They do. I know. Yeah, yeah. So it's your book we really care about. I know so. We'd love to see your face. Person too. just always has her feet involved. Oh, you know that works too. Work. Yeah. 
I mean, and selfies can be hard. Yeah, I can't do them to save my life. Did you notice that when I we have that picture of my me and my sister? My sister took the picture, and not she, me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, Chris usually does the selfies, Trisha. You're going to have to take this hey, role. You're getting better. <laughs> well, All right, everybody. Happy, happy reading. reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. To keep the bookish conversation going online, join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.